All right, well, welcome back uh, to Sunday School as we begin a new year. Hope everybody had uh, a nice summer break and time off. Uh, This year, uh, we're going to start our uh, Sunday School uh, season with um, five weeks on uh, bibliology, and uh, Gary Brown is going to be teaching the class, uh, hopefully doing another five weeks later on in the year, and so we're going to look forward to that. So split uh, 10 weeks total, probably split into two uh, sections, and Gary's going to come up and give an introduction on what that means, and then lead the class for the next five weeks, and then we'll probably start spending some time back in the Heidelberg Catechism this fall, and then we have some other thoughts uh, as the year progresses. So I'm going to invite Gary up and uh, turn things over, so thanks. If y'all don't know who I am, I'm Laurelin's husband. <clears throat> um, Pastor Brett and I have very similar backgrounds. He and I both went to Biola. Of course, when I went to Biola, he was in preschool or kindergarten, but uh, we still have that in common. <clears throat> My issue about bibliology is something that touched me very personally. And I think some of you are going to hear that too and, and feel that. My background is I have a bachelor's degree in biblical studies and a master's degree in biblical studies. I was an interim pastor in um, Williams, Arizona for a while and then started a church in Flagstaff. And then we moved from Flagstaff to uh, Southern California, where my mom was ill, and uh, so I, we, we lived when she died, and we went to Northern California, and I, I led a home uh, group uh, church in, in Reading. My issue is this. What's happening to our young people? In a study by um, Ken Ham and Avery Foley, they based a book on some studies that were done. <clears throat> and it was talking about the, the young people having a massive exodus from the church. Not just from the church, but from Christianity. And in their study, they found this. The, 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 the study asked questions. Well, why? And, and, and it was to a multiple of, uh, of people. But they asked, you know, what's the reason that you're um, leaving the church? And this study was done in 2016 by the Pew Research uh, Group, their center. And they answered strangely, or at least it was strange to me because I wasn't thinking about it at all. Uh, The the young people gave the reason for leaving the church was the very first answer was they no longer believe. That was 49% of the people that were that were polled. Very similar, 82% had that same answer for atheists, 63% for agnostics, meaning they don't know. Well, they do know because God's word says they do know. 63% or it was agnostic and 37 of those who had no preference whatsoever. I've had some children leave the church. Some of you may have had children leave the church when they become college age and, and, and move on. And that's troubling. Why are they leaving? Their first answer was learning about evolution 
when I went away to college. Another one, rational thoughts makes religion go out the window. These are actual answers. The lack of any sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. Then I just realized somewhere along the line that I don't really believe what I was taught. It's a scary thing, folks. In, uh, let's see where it is. He says a large percent of these people leaving the church because questions about science that led to doubts about God's word. They said, if we can't trust the historical portions of the Bible, meaning like Genesis and such, and it, that deal with the origin of man, why should we believe what you teach about Jesus Christ? So it's actually an attack on, on biblical Christianity. Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. Jesus said in Matthew 5, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law till all is accomplished. David, in Psalm 138, verse 1 and 2, my daughter Brenda wrote a tune to this song. It's really pretty. But it it goes like this, Psalm 138, verses 1 and 2. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. Now, the ESV reads it this way. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Then it has a footnote that reads, for you have magnified your word above all your name. God's word is like his attributes. They reflect his character. Think of some of the attributes you know. Somebody give me one off off the hand. Attribute of God. God is omnipotent. What else? Omniscience. Okay, we got the omnis. What else? Huh? He's omnipotent. There you go. That's the third one. (laughs) All right. Uh, He's love, but he's also true. He's also good. He's also just. He's righteous. He's immutable. That means he does not change. So when God says something, that's the way it is. The Apostle Paul, when he was commenting on the trials and tribulations and difficulties that ancient Israel underwent, and the horrendous sin of idolatry that they committed, he wrote this in response to that, thinking about that. Now all these things happen to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And in Romans, Paul writes, for whatever things were written, this is Romans 5, uh, 15, 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We have hope in Christ. We have hope. How many of you read the Psalms when you're really down and out? And how God's just spirit just lifted your soul and lifted your, your whole attitude. 
That's what God's word does to us. The apostle Peter in Second Peter chapter 1 said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Those promises through which these may be partakers of the divine nature. God has given us his word that we could learn about him, that we could have hope in him and have trust in his, in his, in his word. For all the promises of God in him that is in Christ are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. God receives glory by sinners who repent. God receives glory as he changes sinners. An article that was written, Why the Bible is Not the Word of God, the writer identifies himself as a licensed minister of the missionary Baptist tradition. I want you to listen very carefully to what he says. I believe in preaching the Word of God. I believe in saving of souls from the clutches of dark forces. I believe that God is all-loving and all-powerful, and that his son, Jesus of Nazareth, was the son of God who has given us a way to live life fully and abundantly. Then he finishes that paragraph with this. Yet, I do not believe the Holy Bible is the infallible word of God. What is he preaching? He says, I I believe in preaching the word of God. What word is he preaching? He continues, and he kind of explains it for us. The Holy Bible is a collection of Christian texts that is the result of refinement by men who thought they were led by God to discern his teachings. Then he continues, having freed myself from the bondage of spiritual captivity by dead men. He's talking about the writers of scripture. Having freed myself from the bondage of spiritual captivity by dead men, I live in the splendor of the living God who who guides my feet. Then he finishes the article with, the Bible is is a confirmation ground, not a transcript of God speaking to man. When I read that, I go, are you kidding me? What is this you're talking about here? All this, you know, you believe this and you believe that. Where did you get that? You just conjure it up out of the sky? I mean, where did you get that? And when he says it isn't, he says it's a confirmation ground, not the transcript of God speaking to man. Paul ends in the Moody Handbook of Theology wrote this. There are... 3,800 times in the Bible where it declares, God said, or thus says the Lord. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Is that just childish error, or is it true? Evangelical Christianity has a big problem, says Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley of radio and television fame. 
He said that a reliance on the Bible, that is, that, that a prob- the problem is a reliance on the Bible is both unwarranted and unhelpful. In a recent, kind of recent, it was 2016, he delivered a, a message to his church, uh, North Point Community Church in uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. And he identifies what the evangelical impulse, that the evangelical impulse to turn to the Bible in our defense and presentation of Christianity is a huge blunder should, that should be corrected. His apologetic concern is clear from the beginning of his message, which is he identifies the crisis of deconversion as adults leave the church because they have outgrown their childlike faith and no longer believe. He traces their deconversion to the fact that their adults' fact-fighting questions were met with childish faith-based answers. Now, yes, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. But God has given, and that's the whole point of this, this, this study. God has given us excellent answers to all these questions. I always believed God's word was God's word growing up. When I went to Bible college, it just absolutely solidified it for me. We were required to read a couple of books. One was um, From God to Us by uh, um, Norm uh, Geisler and William Nix. Just a great book. Then I got into reading Josh McDowell's books on evidence that demands a verdict, and it is excellent. It, they've also, he's also updated it. He and his, his son, uh, Sean, is, has updated it, so there's a newer version of it. But time and time and time again, the arguments against have excellent answers. Well, Stanley goes on to say that the Bible told me so is one of the threads that I we, that we hear in deconversion stories all the time. He says, I have a feeling for many, many, many of you who are losing your faith or have lost your faith, especially in the Christian faith, this is a bit of your part of your story. Later, he follows by dismissing the there follows up by dismissing the the Bible by saying the Bible says it that settles it. He says that approach to Christianity is is just out the window. The problem is this, he says, if the Bible goes, so goes our faith. Well, maybe that's true. If the Bible goes, at this point, Stanley goes on to amplify his concern about Bible-based Christianity. Quote: If the Bible is the foundation of for your faith. Here's the problem. It is all or nothing. Christianity becomes a fragile house of card religion. That means one poof and it crumbles. Then he states boldly, it's next to impossible to defend the entire Bible. In short order, Stanley uh, argues claiming infallibility for the entire Bible is a losing project. I hope to show you in this study that that's not so. In his book, The God We Never Knew, Marcus Borg, let me tell you who Marcus Borg is. He's, he was kind of fa- 
uh, hotshot. He was the uh, canon uh, theologian of Trinity Episcopal Church, the <clears throat> Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. He was a distinguished professor of religion and culture at Oregon State University until 2007. He was also one of those guys, <laughs> a fellow at the Jesus Seminar. If you never heard of the Jesus Seminar, talk to me later. <clears throat> anyway, uh, he's dead now, and, and now he knows better, but... In his book, The God We Never Knew, this is what he wrote about scripture. I let go of the notion that the Bible is a divine product. I learned that it is a human culture product, the product of two ancient communities, biblical Israel and early Christianity. As such, it contained their understanding and affirmations, not statements coming directly or somewhat directly from God. I realized that whatever divine revelation and the inspiration of the Bible meant, if it meant anything, they did not mean that the Bible was a divine product with divine authority. This subject is so important that a good grasp of how important it is is what we want to work toward. These types of attacks on the Bible and truth are not new. It's continually changing, and its tactics of the enemies of God continually change. But even in the New Testament, Jude contended passionately for the truth and for the faith. He said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, that's what he wanted to talk to them about. He says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith or to contend strenuously for the defense of the faith which was once delivered to to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Some of these guys are seminary professors. So certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago marked out for this condemnation ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness or lasciviousness, literally the Greek says changing into sensuality, and they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus warned us about this. In Matthew seven fifteen. he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And then Matthew ten sixteen he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And in Luke ten three, Jesus said, Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among the wolves. I was a little scared when I went to, I'd been six years in the army, but when I uh, finally made it to college, I was a little concerned about what the secular, because it was a community college. It wasn't Biola. It wasn't a Christian college at all. And I was a little concerned about what they would do. And I had this one prof who was in my, it was a philosophy class that I took. And he argued the philosopher's position, everyone we went on down the road, And when he came to Christianity, he used the city of God by Augustine, not the Bible. And so at the end, 
when we were done with the class and, and he wanted to know if anybody had any questions. I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. In your course, you use the originator of those philosophical presentations, correct? He said, yes. I said, why didn't you do that with Christianity? You didn't use Christ. Why didn't you even use the Apostle Paul? And he looked at me, stone cold, because I'm prejudiced. Don't think we don't have enemies out there, enemies against the cross and against truth. The Apostle Paul Paul warned in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, For I know this, that after my departure, we don't know if it was after he dies or after he left the area, but he says, after my departure, savage wolves, Jesus talked about wolves three times there, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from within or among yourselves will rise up men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Peter described the the depravity of false uh, teachers this way. But these, these men, like brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things that they do not understand. And will utterly perish in their own corruption. Back to Jude. Jude verse 8 says, Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak of evil dignitaries. Speak evil of dignitaries. Dignitaries is what the New King James reads. Angelic majesties, New American Standard. Celestial beings, the NIV. And the ESV is the glorious ones. It's literally the glory. So they speak evil of glories, things that they don't understand. He continues in verse 10. These speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, and these things, they corrupt themselves. So the attack in the Bible isn't new. The attack on Christianity isn't new. Now, I mentioned that that the continuing attacks and changing tactics are there, and it it keeps on going. In an article entitled Perpiscuity, Perpiscuity means clarity. So Perpiscuity of Scripture, the emergent approach. John MacArthur writes, In the 60s and 70s, the doctrine of biblical inerrancy, uh, it was said, was full of errors and thus could not be trusted as historically or scientifically accurate. In the 80s and 90s, you see the progression. In the 80s and 90s, the sufficiency of the scripture was targeted. The charismatic movement, with its need of uh, needing additional revelation, and Christian psychology, with its emphasis on neo-Freudian, non-biblical, anti-biblical counseling techniques, attempted to undermine the fact that God granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And then he continues, as the millennium grew to a close, the attack on the Bible, or God's revealed word, came in a new way. This time, the relevance of scripture was the point of attack. Rather than being directly maligned, church leaders for whom the biblical teaching was simply not a major priority, quietly discarded the Bible. 
the seeker-sensitive movement, to some degree, advocated limiting the presentation of divine truth to what unbelievers were willing to tolerate. A new movement is now, and he continues, a new movement is now arising in evangelical circles. Apparently, main, the main objective object of attack will be the perspicuity, clarity of the scriptures. Influenced by postmodernism, notions about language and meaning and subjectivity and truth, many young evangelicals are questioning whether the word of God is clear enough to justify certainty or dogmatism about certain points of doctrine. It goes like this. Homosexuality, according to God's word, is a sin. God calls it an abomination. Oh, no, no, no. That's just your opinion. No, God said it. Oh, no, that's just your interpretation. That's what this is. Ironically, this new movement is a certain ex- to a certain extent ignores all the previous debates. Instead, its proponents are more interested in dialogue and conversation. As a result, they scorn, rebuff, propositional truth, absolute truth, which has a tendency, which is true, has a tendency to end dialogue rather than cultivate it. If I look at you and say what you're doing is sin, boy, that's going to end the conversation real quick. And that's what they're saying. They say that attitude is just outmoded 20th century, a vestige of 20th century modernism. We don't want to hear that. So who are we listening to? What is our standard? The people in Isaiah's day were listening to the wrong voices, too. They were turning to spiritualists to communicate with the dead, like King Saul did in uh, 1 Samuel 28 with the the, uh, medium of Endor. So the Lord said, Isaiah, Isaiah. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums, And wizards, mediums are those who conjure up the dead, and wizards or enchanters or sorcerers, magic guys, those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Psalm 36, 9 says to God, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Remember, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The natural man doesn't understand them. And Paul goes in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. When you speak, when we talk about illumination, it's like a light coming on. Whoa, I see that now. When God's Holy Spirit grabs hold of a person's soul, and he convicts them of sin, and they repent and turn to him. It's a light coming on. Life happens. 
That's what, what he's talking about there. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then he said, in, in, that was in uh, John eight twelve. Then in John 14, 6, most of you know this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's interesting because the way the Greek will read it is like this. I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the only truth. I am the life, the only life. That's the emphasis of it. There is no life outside of Christ. And when God turns that light on, it's, it's an amazing thing. So what about the Bible? How many of you have ever heard of uh, Guinness World Records? Anybody? Okay. They wrote, the Bible is the most quoted, most translated, most published book in human history. Completely unique in its creation, content, and accuracy. And while the uniqueness of the Bible does not irrefutably prove that it is a revelation of God, when one truly considers the nature of this book, it takes more faith to believe that it was simply written and compiled by humans than to believe that it is the work of God. That's what happened with Josh McDowell. He hated his dad. He hated everything. He went, his book was, his intention of his book was, I'm going to just prove these crazy Christians, disprove the Bible, all this kind of stuff. And he got hold of it, and it got hold of him. And God saved him and absolutely transformed his life. The article continues. Although it is impossible to obtain exact uh, figures, there is little doubt that the Bible is the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book. A survey by the American Bible Society concluded that around 2.5 billion copies were printed between 1815 and 1975, but more recent uh, estimates put it up around 5 billion. At that time, that would have been a book in everybody's hand. By By the end of 1995, combined global sales of today's English version, or also called the Good News for a Modern Man, That exceeded 17.5 million copies. That's just one translation. That particular one was translated into 349 languages. 2,123 languages have had at least one book of the Bible in its language. That's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of Bibles going out. So what's so important about bibliology? Bibliology is not bibliography. It's bibliology. Bibliology is the foundation of every other area of theology. The Bible is the basis, the starting point of all other theological studies and is the fountainhead of all spiritual life and truth. Everything we know about God 
about creation, about Jesus Christ, about salvation, is revealed to us in God's word. Yes, you take the Bible away, we have no faith. It's true. Bibliology, in my opinion, is the most important doctrine that the church has because it undergirds every, everything we believe. <clears throat> well, the nature of the study of bibliology. Bibliology comes from a, a combination of two Greek words. Biblios, meaning book or scroll or roll, and logos, meaning a word, a statement, an express thought, a talk or a, a dialogue. Bibliology, most broadly and simply understood, is a collecting, arranging, and explaining truths regarding the Bible. Bibliology is not a Bible study. Bibliology is the study of the Bible. You know, theologians take theology and they'll break it down to basically ten sections on there. Bibliology... um, study of the Bible, theology proper, study of God, Christology, study of Christ, pneumatology, study of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, angelology, the study of uh, angels, including Satan and demons, anthropology, study of man, harmartiology, the study of sin, soteriology, the study of salvation, ecclesiology, the study of the church, and not, not last, I mean last, but not least, Eschatologist study of end times. The Bible, too, has its own categories. And if you have your handout, it's on page three. These are the sections that I want us to, to uh, uh, go over through the, the series of this. Yo. Oh, gee, you should have. <laughs> it's a pretty hefty handout, y'all. But it's going to touch every one of the s- subjects that we're, we're going to be talking about. Its categories are this, revelation, inspiration, illumination, inerrancy, and infallibility. They're not the same. They're very closely related, but they're not the same. Canonicity, how we got those books into the Bible. Textual criticism, what manuscripts do we have, which ones are good, which ones are less uh, acceptable. Hermeneutics is the study, that's, that's uh, interpretation, perspicuity. you already learned that one on clarity. Authority and the, and the sufficiency of scripture. If we are ever going to learn anything about God, who it transcends all, we're going to have to learn it from him. He's going to have to be the one to reveal it to us, and he has done that in his word. R.C. Sproul, in his, in his book, Essential Truths of the Christian Faith, has written, Idle speculation about God is a fool's errand. Who knows what a fool's errand is? Anybody. It's like getting something and then running around with your, like a chicken with its head cut off. Anybody seen that? If you're a farm boy, you've seen it. <clears throat> when I was a kid, and my grandpa had cut head off this chicken, and it took off like it, it knew where it was going. And it ran, I mean, straight up, didn't waver until it ran into, under one of our buildings out there, and I had to go get the thing. But, boy, <clears throat> that's what it is. It's a fool's errand. So idle speculation about God is a fool's errand. 
If we wish to know him in truth, we must rely on what he tells us about himself. The Bible indicates, he continues, the Bible indicates that God reveals himself in various ways. He displays his glory in and through nature. He reveals himself in ancient times via dreams and visions and prophecies. The mark of his providence is shown on the pages of history. He reveals himself in his inspired scriptures. But the zenith, the apex, the pinnacle of God's revelation is seen in Jesus Christ becoming a human being. The author of Hebrews wrote this. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, he has spoke in these last days to us by his son. The Greek is en huio. That means in son. So it's the idea that he spoke to him, us in person. God came in person and spoke to us. So the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by or in his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the world. Every doctrine we believe depends on bibliology. And when I told you that, you know, I, it, this was a personal thing for me too, I mean, I can think, out of my six kids, I can think of one that goes to church regularly. You know, that kind of cuts to the heart of a a parent. So do you have any questions what we talked about? Or what I talked about? I have another handout that I want to give you. What I'm going to do through this course is I'm going to have a presentation and we'll have this back and forth, but I want to hand, give you a handout in each time that will kind of supplement what we talked about before. One of these um, handouts is, why does doctrine matter? And the other one is, there are biblical terms. Tim, last year when he was, he was teaching the class, he had all these terms that we were looking at, how to describe scripture. Well, one of those are, is there too, so I want you to be able to look at that. You know what? I forgot. We didn't even pray. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank you for your love and your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for your truth, that you have given us your word, that we would know you, that we know Christ, that we know salvation, that we would know the doctrines that we need to know, that we would walk by faith and trust you in this honestly difficult life sometimes. Father, help us to understand, help us to believe your word, trust you, because you are a faithful, worthy God. In Jesus' name.